Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn or scroll to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If I haven't met you, my name is Weston Duke. I'm the campus minister for the campus ministry RUF at Middle Tennessee State University down in Murfreesboro. But many of you probably recognize me because I've apparently been here enough times that Richard didn't feel the need to introduce me this morning, (laughs) which was a mild disappointment because... Richard's lofty intros always put my work into refreshing perspective. Um, But thank you all for having me here again. I I actually really appreciate the opportunity to drive up here this morning and see all the fall colors um, on the drive north of Nashville. It was uh, great for me to to have that time. Luke chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we come to it. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you know our hearts, and we thank you that you tell us stories to encourage our hearts. We pray now that as we come to this, that you would do your work in us by your word. Would you encourage us so that we do not lose heart? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was an English writer in the 18th century known by the name Samuel Johnson, And he was very well known during his time for his poems, his plays, his essays, and for a dictionary of the English language that he completed single-handedly. But Johnson was also a Christian, and he kept a regular diary of his personal religious life, which is still extant today. And so I'm going to read you a few excerpts from his diary on his attempts to grow in his devotional time with the Lord. On his 29th birthday in 1738, he wrote, O Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. Almost 20 years later, on Easter Eve 1757, he wrote, Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time that's spent in idleness and sin by a diligent application of the days yet remaining. Seven years later, on Easter Eve of 1764, he wrote, My purposes from this time on is to avoid idleness, to rise early, to keep a journal, to worship God more diligently, to read the scriptures. About a year later, on Easter Day, 1765, he wrote, I purpose to rise at eight, because though I shall not rise early, it shall be much earlier than I now rise, for I often lie till two. He was 56 at this point, not 16. And then on Good Friday of 1775, 37 years after the first entry I read to you, 
He said, when I look back upon resolutions and improvements, which I have made year after year and have broken, why do I yet try to resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary. And then in 1781, 43 years after the first entry, he said, I will not despair, but help me, help me, oh my God. My hope is to rise at eight or sooner, (laughs) to read through the Bible this year, and to keep a journal. My guess is if you're here this morning and you would consider yourself a Christian, you can sympathize with Samuel Johnson. Most of us believe that we can and should do better when it comes to personally utilizing the means of grace. And that's especially true when it comes to our prayer lives. Back in 2018, the Christian publisher Crossway did a study and found that only 2% of Christians are very satisfied with their prayer lives. So it turns out most of us find it difficult to pray consistently. And why is that? Well, in Crossway's study, many people reported that the biggest barriers to prayer were the usual suspects, things like distraction and busyness. And so, like Johnson, we believe the solution is to just be more resolved in making time for prayer. But I believe that there's something more deeply seated in our hearts that causes prayer to fall by the wayside. And that is a doubt that prayer really does anything. For some of us, prayer just doesn't seem as effective as planning and pragmatism. We allow busyness to crowd out prayer in our lives because getting up and doing something feels way more productive than sitting down and praying. Or for others of us, there have been points in our lives where we have prayed fervently for something to no avail. And we can start to wonder, does God really hear us? Does God care about the things that weigh upon us? Is he even there? And if he is, why doesn't he do something? We become discouraged, and so we give up on our resolutions to pray. But Jesus knows our difficulty. Jesus knows it's a struggle for us to persevere in prayer, and he gives us this parable for that very reason. Now, if you're not familiar with the parables, these are simply stories that Jesus told to illustrate spiritual truths. And such stories, as you may have heard Richard say before, steal past the watchful dragons. That is, that they operate on our hearts in a way that propositional truth doesn't. Now, admittedly, it can sometimes be hard to know what to make of Jesus' parables. But thankfully, we're not left in the dark on this one. Even before we hear the parable, Luke tells us its purpose in verse 1. He says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus tells us this parable because he wants to encourage us so that we might persevere in praying to him. And what does Jesus tell us to help us do that? How can we persevere in prayer? Well, in this parable, Jesus wants us to see three things. Our weakness, God's goodness, and the need for patience. So first, our weakness. This parable centers around two main characters, an unrighteous judge and a window, a widow. Uh, and we're going to focus on the second of those characters first. So in verse 3, we're told that there was a widow in that city who kept coming to the judge. Now, in the ancient world, widows were some of the weakest and most vulnerable people. Their standing and their security in society was attached entirely to their husbands. 
And so whenever a woman's husband died, she was left to fend for herself. Widows were often poor because there was no life insurance or social security, and they were easily oppressed because they had no one to defend them. And that apparently is what has happened to the widow in this story. She goes to the judge and she says, give me justice against my adversary. So notice she says, give me justice, not give me vengeance. This means that someone has taken advantage of her in some way, and she is helpless to do anything about it. Her only recourse is to go to this judge, but as we'll talk about in a moment, he is an unrighteous judge. As verse 4 tells us, for a while he refused her plea for justice. He was not interested in righting the wrong that had been committed against her, and she didn't have anyone that could advocate for her, nor did she have any money with which to bribe the judge. And so what does she do? She keeps coming back. She knows that the judge is the only one who can alleviate her suffering. And so in her weakness and in her helplessness, she keeps coming to him. She keeps asking for him to do something. Now, we should keep in mind that whenever Jesus tells these fictional stories, the characters are meant to represent the spiritual condition of real people. And in this parable, the widow represents those who are praying. Now, why would Jesus choose a widow to represent us? Well, it's because like the widow, we are, in actuality, weak and helpless, Life throws at us more than we can handle. We face injustice and suffering and other hardships that we cannot fix on our own. But many of us don't like to admit that. We're supposed to be strong Americans who can overcome any obstacle with a little determination and hard work, right? Being weak is considered to be a a, a bad thing in our culture. I remember uh, years ago when I was in college, my family started watching the TV show NCIS. Um, There have been lots of seasons and lots of spinoffs of that show. But in the earlier seasons, the, the fearless leader, Leroy Jethro Gibbs, would often give his deputy agents rules to live by. And rule number six was never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. Now, this is a rule that Gibbs originally borrowed from the great John Wayne. Now, aside from the fact that never apologize is terribly unbiblical advice, (laughs) the whole premise of the advice is that it is bad to give any indication of weakness. We don't want to admit that we're weak. And not only do do we not want to admit that, we also don't even want to feel that we are weak and helpless. So much of our lives is spent trying to shore us up against vulnerabilities. This is part of the allure of money. Nothing makes us feel powerful quite like money because money deceives us into thinking that we can make the things that we want to happen happen and we can protect ourselves from the things that we don't want to happen. This is why there are so many different types of insurance. Re-enrollment season is coming here and, you know, every year about this time, I get overwhelmed by all of the, the... add-on policies that they try to throw at you. And all of these things exist because we hope that we can buy some insulation that prevents us from having to feel how helpless and vulnerable we actually are. 
But there are cracks in that insulation that we try to create for ourselves, aren't there? On a small scale, we, we feel our weakness in, in daily situations. Right? We go to work and things at our job just never seem to change, no matter what we try to do differently. Or the, the baby just won't stop crying no matter what we do. Or you go to three different stores because you can't find that one thing that you need. But then there are those much bigger moments in life where our weakness really comes into view. When things with our kids reach a crisis point or the doctor delivers that diagnosis that was previously unthinkable. And then it's that we see the fortress that we have built for ourselves is really just a house of cards. We are weaker and more helpless in life than we ever realized. And when we become in touch with that reality, what do we do? We have no recourse except to run to God over and over and over. Because to whom else can we turn? Pastor Tim Keller speaks about this in his book on prayer. There was a point in his life where he was ministering in New York City right after 9-11, In addition to that, his wife was struggling with a pretty severe bout of Crohn's disease. And in addition to that, he got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so his wife, Kathy, asked him to start praying with her every single night. And this was the illustration that she gave him. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. And imagine you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you just not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss it. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it slip our minds. You see, contrary to what we might think, prayer is not something that we do out of a sense of resolve. It's not something that we do out of discipline. No, prayer is something that we do out of desperation. It's something that happens when we acutely become aware of our helplessness. When we see how needy we are, not just in moments of crisis, but in all of our lives. So that's the first thing that we need to see in order to persevere in prayer, our weakness. The second thing we need to see is God's goodness. This is where we're going to look at the other character in the story, the unrighteous judge. We're introduced to him in verse 2, and the first thing that we're told about him is that he neither feared God nor respected man. Since he didn't fear God, he didn't believe that there was any higher authority to which he had to answer. There was no ethic or sense of justice that he felt required to follow. And not only that, he wasn't even concerned with getting the approval of his fellow man. Sort of wonder what that's like. So this guy doesn't care about what anyone thinks, whether God or man. His only concern is his own self-interest. And this is why he initially refuses the widow's request. He doesn't care about rendering her justice. And because she's a widow, she has nothing that she can offer him. So he keeps putting her off but she keeps coming. And he eventually says to himself in verse four, look, I neither fear God nor respect man. He's self-aware. 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, that phrase, beat me down, is a metaphorical rendering of a Greek word that literally means, give me a black eye. So he seems to be making a joke that if he doesn't do something, the situation is going to come to blows. And so just to keep her from bothering him, the unrighteous judge gives the widow justice. And then Jesus draws the comparison for us in verse 6. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, it may sound like Jesus is making a one-to-one comparison here. Is he saying that like the unrighteous judge, we have to come to God over and over in order for our request to be heard? Well, Jesus is actually making a how much more comparison. He's saying if the unrighteous judge who doesn't care about the widow at all answered her request, how much more will our good God, who loves his people, hear our cries? And here, Jesus specifically refers to God answering our cries for justice. But we could expand this to all of our prayers because he uses the same how much more logic elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus' illustration here sounds a little bit like one of those um, prank Christmas videos, prank prank Christmas gift videos that float around in December. Um, Maybe you've seen one of these. They're kind of like the Christmas version of the uh, telling your kids I ate all your Halloween candy. Um, So the parents will allow the kids to open a present early. And so the kids excitedly open the gift, but instead of a a baseball glove, they get like a battery. Or instead of, you know, some fuzzy socks, they get floss. And it's really funny to laugh at the, the children's reaction to this. But the whole reason that we can laugh at this is because that we know no parent would actually do that. Parents love to give good gifts to their children, especially in response to their requests. And if that's true of us, who are selfish and sinful, how much more true is that of God, whose very nature is goodness and self-giving love? Jesus says in verse 7, will God not give justice to his elect? And in referring to the elect, he is referring to those whom God has chosen to be the recipients of his goodness and love. He's referring to those whom God has adopted as his children. He's referring to those whom God has made the apple of his eye. And so perseverance in prayer comes not only from a sense of our own weakness, but also from a knowledge of God's goodness. We don't cry out day and night to God in order to get him to do something. No, we do so because we know that we have a God who cares for us, who hears us, and who wants to act on our behalf. And children who are secure in their parents' love will shamelessly ask them for anything and everything over and over and over, right? (laughs) Well, in the same way, we are drawn to prayer when we know God's love for us. And so that poses a question to us. Does our lack of prayer indicate that our hearts have grown cold to the warmth of God's goodness? 
Does the absence of prayer in our life show us that our hearts struggle to rest in God's love? And maybe the answer for you this morning is yes. Maybe the circumstances in your life make you question God's goodness. Maybe you're, you're looking around in your life and saying, you know, it doesn't feel like a, a whole lot is going right right now, and I'm just really struggling to see how God is good. Well, whenever we question God, we need to go back to the basics. We need to return to the foundations of our faith, and that is Jesus. We must remember that Jesus is the one telling us this parable. And Jesus doesn't just tell us stories about God's goodness. Jesus is himself God's good gift to us. Because Jesus is God's answer to our greatest need, which is forgiveness of our sin and reconciliation with him. And so Paul says this in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God has already given us the ultimate demonstration of his goodness in sending Jesus to die on our behalf, then will God fail to show his goodness in our lesser needs? Of course not. And so Jesus exhorts us to pray. When we are anxious or overwhelmed, when we are suffering or facing injustice, when our hearts are heavy, Jesus exhorts us to pray with the assurance that God does hear us, that he will do what is good and right for us. But still, some of you may be thinking, Weston, I have prayed. <laughs> you have no idea how much I have prayed. I have prayed for something over and over and over, and nothing has happened. The older I get, the more I have experienced that myself. And that's why we need to recognize that just because we pray for something over and over and over doesn't mean that we will, in fact, receive it. The Bible never promises us that. Jesus does come awfully close because he wants us to be bold in our prayers. But whenever he does tell us to pray, he always adds in some qualifier. And so sometimes when we pray, the answer that we get is no. And kids, your parents don't always give you everything that you ask for, right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're right. And I know that like when you get older, you, you think I'm going to be way cooler as a parent. But parents sometimes say no to our children, not because we're the worst, but because we love our children. We're doing what's best, even if that doesn't make sense to our kids right now. And similarly, God sometimes says no to our prayers. And that's actually a manifestation of his goodness. So that shouldn't discourage us from praying. If anything, it should drive us to pray even more so that we can understand his good purposes for us. But what about those prayers which we know align with his will? Well, that leads us to the last thing that Jesus wants us to see, and that is the need for patience. So here, Jesus refers to justice, which the Bible tells us is a part of God's very character. For example, in Jeremiah 9, 24, the Lord says to the prophet, let him who boasts, boast in this, 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. So Jesus says, of course, God is going to give justice to his people who cry out for it. And he's not only going to answer that prayer, he says in verses 7 and 8, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is where we get hung up a little bit. Because it often seems like God is delaying. It seems like he is not acting speedily. And in a world where we can click a button on our phone and have something delivered to our doorstep within days, if not hours, we hear speedily and we think immediately. And that can become our expectation for God. And so we pray. We pray for good things. We pray for for suffering to end, for wrongs to be righted. We pray for redemption in our relationships. We pray for softening of hearts. We pray for deliverance of sin. We pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of those things, and then it seems like nothing happens. And at best, we think it would be really nice if God hired Amazon to run his fulfillment department. (laughs) And at worst, we think that God's not listening or that he's not even there. And this is where we need to realize that God's sense of time is not quite the same as ours. In 2 Peter 3, the apostle refutes those who believe that God's not going to do anything. He says that these people say, look, all things have been continuing just as they always have. And Peter's response is, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Now, this is going to be a hard pill for us to swallow, both on a metaphysical level and a personal level. We might think, okay, sure, like, maybe it's not slow for God because he exists in eternity, but it still feels slow for me, (laughs) And that's why if we're going to persevere in prayer, we need patience. If we're going to continue in our relationship with the Lord through prayer, we have to learn to wait upon him. And we recognize this correlation between perseverance and patience everywhere else in life. We know that if our kids are going to persevere in learning a musical instrument, they have to be patient before making beautiful music. The parents do too. Or we know that if we're going to stick with a new exercise regimen, we have to be patient before seeing results. Or we know that if we're going to continue down a career path, we have to be patient before seeing success. Or we know that if we're going to invest in new relationships, we have to be patient before we see those bonds formed. The most worthwhile things in life all require patience if we are going to persevere in them. And prayer is no different. So we cannot give up on prayer just because God's definition of speedily doesn't match ours. And when we do have trouble waiting, it can be helpful for us to to think back and reflect on those prayers that we have previously offered to God. When we do that, we can begin to see how the Lord answers our requests in his way and in his timing. If we stop and reflect and remember then our experience will confirm the Lord's promise to answer our prayer. It will help us to practice the patience that we need 
to persevere in prayer. But the reality is that no matter how long we wait, there are going to be some prayers that just don't get answered this side of life. And that's why we need Jesus' final words in this passage. In verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When I first read this parable, I thought that was a weird way to end. Because Jesus tells this parable to his disciples so they would not lose heart. And then he ends with a challenging question. (laughs) But there's encouragement implicit in this question. Jesus is saying that one day he will come again. (laughs) And every wrong will be righted. Every deferred desire will be fulfilled. Every wound will be healed. And all of our suffering will end. Like the old R&B couple, Sam and Dave, Jesus says, hold on, I'm coming. And Jesus asks us, will you continue to pray in faith as you wait upon me to come? And this promise of the second coming is what we ultimately need to persevere in prayer. Because even if we know our weakness, why would we pray if Jesus is not our hope? Or how can we be sure of God's goodness if he does not ultimately put an end to evil? Or how can we be patient if we have no assurance that the patient is going to finally pay off? But we do. We have the promise that Jesus is going to come again and every prayer of ours will be answered. And this is why persevering in prayer is not about our resolve because our resolutions are dependent upon us. But prayer is dependent upon the Lord and his promises to us. And the Bible is really just one long story telling us of how God has fulfilled his promises in Christ. And so we can be sure that he will also fulfill this promise of Christ's second coming as well. The question for us is, will we persevere in prayer? until he comes again. Let's go to our our God in prayer now. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you know our hearts, you know our struggles, our doubts, our difficulties. And Lord, you, you speak to us the words that we need to hear. Lord, you, you confront us with our own weakness, but you also assure us of your goodness and your readiness to act on our behalf. And I pray that those two things would help us to practice patience as we wait upon you to work. Lord, would you help us to persevere in prayer? And may we do so with the the firm certainty that you will answer all of our prayers. If not at this time, then when Jesus comes again. We look forward to that day with great hope. We pray these things in his name. Amen.